This is your Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Hope everyone's having a good one out there today. Hope nobody's fence blew down on Thursday. Just me. Um, yeah, it's a. Uh, it was windy. It was uh, definitely windy, as uh, as evidenced by a part of our fence in our backyard getting knocked over. Not my favorite thing, but you know what? Life goes on. We deal with adversity. Um, Carl Anthony Towns talked a little bit about adversity in that Tuesday game against the Clippers. We'll get to that in a little bit because Wolves versus Memphis in that first round playoff series begins Saturday. Going to spend a good portion of today's show talking about that. I've got Drew Hill from the Daily Memphian joining me here in a little while to help kind of explain Memphis's season this year, 56-26, and 26, an unbelievable season for the Grizzlies. They did great without John Morant in the lineup, one of their best players. Uh, Drew will explain a little bit of how that came to pass. I mean, we all were marveling at the Wolves being able to beat the Clippers with Anthony Towns in foul trouble and not having his best game by any stretch. Well, you know, the the Grizzlies withstood uh, John Moramping out, went 20-5 and five when he was not in the lineup. So Drew Hill helped me break a lot of that down. Got to get to Patrick Beverly here in a little bit. A lot of tentacles to the Patrick Beverly story. Uh, we got some John Morant audio that I want to play for you in a little while. Going to get to some Ryan Hartman stuff, some wild stuff, and maybe a little bit of NCAA gymnastics at the end. But first, what did I miss? Like I said, we're going to spend a lot of time on the Wolves. Got to get to some Carl Anthony Towns stuff at the jump here. Carl Anthony Towns talked to the media on uh, on Thursday, before, you know, kind of in, t- in anticipation of this series, you know, got a lot of questions about his struggles in that game against the Clippers. And if I'm being honest, they go beyond just that game against the Clippers. I mean, that was kind of the the culmination of of the struggles that Carl Anthony Towns has. Right? It's it's those kind of big moment games where he has a harder time keeping his emotions in check. And we've seen that throughout his career. We've seen that throughout this season. And we saw that a little bit in his first playoff series. I think I mentioned this the other day um, with with Chip Scoggins. But man, Carl Anthony Towns in the playoffs, that first playoff series, the one time he's been in the playoffs before, five-game series with Houston, he averaged 15 points in that series, shot just uh, 46%, shot just 27% from three-point range. And that was helped a lot by a couple games later in the series. Those first two games of the series, he did not crack double digits in scoring. So if I'm thinking about this, and that was a different team, right? Carlton Towns was four years younger. Jimmy Butler was the unquestioned leader of that team, especially by the end of that season. And so, you know, his role was a little different on that team, and he talked about that a little bit um, in his session on Thursday. But he also, still to me, seems like a guy who imagines some of the adversity that he is he is being put under or doesn't understand how the moments that he gets into are oftentimes self-inflicted. I, I think his session on Thursday was by and large pretty good, had a decent amount of self-awareness, but I want to play a quote from Carl Anthony Towns. Shout out to Chris Hine who sent me this bit of audio, actually sent me the whole the whole bit, the whole 11 minutes of, of Towns uh, talking on 
on Thursday because I missed that. But uh, this was uh, this was Towns. This is the most relevant thing I thought Towns said in his session with reporters on Thursday. Uh, last game wasn't my finest game. A lot of adversity, things I can't control. But at the end of the day, these guys stepped up and got the job done. All credit to them. They deserve to get all the shine and the credit and everything and adulation. They deserved it. They worked hard. Um, we've been professionals every single day. And to uh, be in that position where we could, you know, or where the chips are on the line and, you know, they came all in, so uh, just shout out to them. You know, they, they stayed ready. Uh, even when it was my best night, it was their best night, and that's what makes it so special and so dangerous that it doesn't need to be all of our nights. It just needs to be one of our nights. You know, again, giving credit to teammates, of course, he should do that. Um, you know, talking about adversity, yes, there was some adversity in that game. He got in foul trouble. He was, you know, he was facing some tough coverages, things like that. Maybe you can even take issue with one maybe even two of the fouls called on him early. But you know what? The game was being called pretty tight, and the adversity, by and large, to me in that game was self-inflicted. He did not, even before he was in foul trouble in that game, he did not like look like he was properly engaged in that game, did not look like he was in the right headspace in that game. The Clippers have been a tough cover for him, have been tough covering him all year. Um, they've held him in check largely all season, so... Something about that matchup got to him, and he let it get to him again on a big stage. Now, all was forgiven, more more or less, because they won the game. The Wolves managed to rally win that game, of course. D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards, terrific in that game. So can Carlton Towns now use that as fuel and you know come back and have a much better playoff series against against Memphis, because the Wolves are going to need him, right? They, you, you can't win a seven-game series when your best player doesn't play well. That's just not going to happen, especially against a really good team. I don't care if they're not very experienced. I don't care if Memphis is a little bit of an upstart like the Wolves, if this is a quote-unquote more favorable matchup than a lot of other ones would be. You cannot win this series. You cannot beat a team that won 10 more games than you in the regular season if your best player is not playing well. Now, he has played pretty well against Memphis during this season, but I'm still thinking that is the number one storyline getting into it, more than any of the subplots with Patrick Beverly. And we'll get into those here in a little while after I talk to Drew Hill. But there's there's nothing more important to the Wolves than Carl Anthony Towns taking another step in his evolution, having a little bit more of that self-awareness, having a little bit more of that control of his situation in this series. Because otherwise, it's going to turn out quite poorly for the Wolves. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. All right, happy to be joined today by Drew Hill. Covers the Memphis Grizzlies for the Daily. Is it Daily Memphian? Is that how we pronounce that, Drew? Yes, Daily Memphian. I get asked that a lot. (laughs) It was assumed that was how it was pronounced, but... uh, I, uh, I wanted to make sure, but this is a, it's an exciting time for both Memphis and Minnesota. This should be a fun playoff series starting 2.30 p.m. on Saturday in Memphis. Um, Drew, for as, as much of a story as the Wolves have been here in the Twin Cities, essentially doubling their win total from a year ago and now making it into this series after their big win over the Clippers on Tuesday. Um, Memphis has been a story all year. They've been, you know, launched themselves into that number two seed thrived in a lot of cases, even without their best player, John Morant missed him for, I believe, you know, over 20 games this year, didn't miss a beat. In fact, played better. What, what's been the story there? What, what makes Memphis so good for, for, from the perspective of someone who has watched them day in and day out? 
It's been a combination of things. Um, they made some really smart offseason moves, uh, moved on from a guy like Grayson Allen, moved on from Jonas Valanciunas this offseason. That was, those were both controversial decisions uh, at the time. Now I think everybody thinks that they made the right moves. Um, but it's been a combination of giving Desmond Bain a bigger role, and he's really stepped up and thrived in a bigger role in his second year. You've really been able to see the progress there. John Morant has made a leap from a really good player to a true superstar, all-NBA type of player this year. So that has obviously helped. And they've, they've just found a group that meshes really well. They all are in the same age range. They all like the same things. They have great team chemistry. They don't really have the type of player on the team that I guess could be, you know, the toxic attitude. They don't, they don't have any of those players. Um, and so they found just a, a really good mesh. And, and that, that move to send Jonas Valanciunas to New Orleans, I think was, was – in particular, very important because not only did it free up the ball a little bit, you don't have to throw it in, in the post and expect, you know, to give your big man touches every single time down the floor, but it also allowed to get a, a more versatile defender to some degree. Not, I mean, not exactly, but a more versatile defender to some degree in Steven Adams in and a better rebounder in Steven Adams in and a better lane clearer for jaw to go get scores at the basket and so Steven has just been a much better fit than Jonas Valanciunas was. And when you combine all that together with a healthy Jaron Jackson Jr., you end up with a team that collectively has made a big leap because individually so many players have stepped up and, and made progress, uh, you know, in whether it be their second or third season in the league. Everybody, you know, every team has optimism at the start of the year. Most teams, at least, if they're, if they're being honest, they think, okay, we you know this is a year where we could maybe – improve compete whatever it might be did did the grizzlies feel like we were going back to the beginning of the year like i don't think a lot of us saw a 56 and 26 season coming did they feel like they had the makings of something special or did this just kind of come together in a way that even surprised them i guess i think it came together in a way that surprised everyone that was around the team, but maybe not necessarily the team. I mean, they're full of irrational confidence guys. <laughs> You've got John okay. Moran who finds a slight in everything. You've got Dylan Brooks. Who's, I mean, we, I'm sure we'll get into it. Dylan Brooks and Patrick Beverly. They're going to be a great, great storyline and fun thing to watch for this entire series. Those two guys can be absolute maniacs at times. Um, so I think, you know, all, all that considered, um, it's just it's been a, a surprising season to some degree, but at the same time, I don't think it surprises that team. They always felt like they were better than what their record showed last season. Um, now, if you would have predicted them to be second in the West, I think most people would have called you crazy before the season started. But if I would have told you Jaron Jackson Jr. would play almost every game, and he'd look like defensive player of the year candidate and Ja would make the leap to leap to being an all-star starter. You could say, Oh, well, I could see the Grizzlies winning 50 games if that happens. So um, all has gone right for the Grizzlies this season. They have not really, I mean, besides Ja getting hurt and missing some time, which they've survived really well. Uh, they, they really, it's been smooth sailing so far to this point. 
Uh, you mentioned Jaws injury. I'm curious to know. I, mean, I saw he came back towards the end of the year, had a you know a really nice performance, thick second to last game of the year, then sat out the finale. But like you said, they you know Memphis, I believe was 20 and five when he didn't play this year. Which you know we made a big deal about the Wolves winning that game against the Clippers the night when Carlton Towns didn't play well, had you know fouled out with seven seven and a half minutes left, didn't get much from their best player. Well, Memphis. Went twenty and five without ostensibly their their best player, their their all star, their all NBA candidate player. How did they? How did they do that? How how do you how do you get better when your best player is out? It it's kind of a tricky thing to analyze if we're being honest because they went on an eleven game win streak without John ja Morant, and a lot of those wins were right in the peak of COVID taking over the NBA. So they played a lot of teams that didn't have their star players, and they beat a lot of teams that, frankly, they probably should beat given the depth that they have on their team. Um, and, and the depth, they do deserve some credit, you know, for that. The fact that they have so many guys that can score and they've got maybe the best backup point guard in the NBA right now in Tyus Jones, um, they deserve credit for all of that. But I think that um, it, it, it was a combination of getting a little bit lucky <laughs> playing against teams that didn't have their, their guys and then also just being a really deep team. And even some of those losses are deceiving. Like the, the game that they played without job at the end of the season, that's one of those five losses, is a game against Boston where they didn't play six starters. Well, of course, they weren't, weren't – or six, six rotation players. So, of course, they weren't going to win that game. Sure. Um, but, you know, they also have really impressive wins without job in the lineup and everybody else playing. They beat Brooklyn. They beat Milwaukee handily by double digits both times without jaw in the lineup. So it's really a tricky thing to analyze. It's, it's, it's hard to figure out. Some of it is luck. Some of it's good fortune. And some of it is just being a really deep team. Now we've talked here in Minnesota for a while about Memphis, perhaps being a preferable matchup, certainly preferable to having to play Phoenix were the, were the wolves to fall to the eight seed in this play in tournament. But even, even all along, the Wolves, for whatever reason this season, have played Memphis pretty tough. They split that season series two to two. All the games, all you know, three of the games were competitive. One was a weird blowout at the start of the year. I don't know what happened in that game, but the Wolves won by like 40 some points. I don't know what exactly that was. Probably just one of those nights. But, you know, just in kind of looking at those matchups, you know, John Morant played in all four of those games, but struggled really in a lot of those games, shooting the ball, didn't have his best nights. Is there anything to this that you know that, that Memphis looks at it and says ah we don't necessarily match up great with this team or do they look at it and say those are just four games uh, maybe some outlier shooting nights for John Morant who we're going to be fine here uh, I'll give you some positive and some negative uh, okay. all in one so I think that there is something to the fact that Ja did not play well against the Timberwolves because I mean Patrick Beverly has done a good job on Ja and he deserves credit for that now I have a feeling I've got a sense and there was a little bit of a, some chatter exchange between the two of them because I, I jaw felt like Pat had, you know, made some dangerous plays in the last game and let him know about it after the game. So I think we're going to go into the series with a little bit of bad blood between the two of them, um, which will make it more interesting. I think part of that is jaw, you know, not, not playing well in those games. And some of it is, is definitely the credit of Minnesota's defense. Now, will Ja average 20 points in this playoff series? I mean, I, 
Jaws one of he's one of the true superstars in the league where you you're not going to stop him all the way. You're you're best to try to slow him down and make him do other things. So I mean, the safe bet is is Jaws going to average more than 20 points per game in this series. Um just based on the volume of shots he's going to take. So he'll, he'll probably be a little bit improved from that, uh, from those four games, and they can expect that. Um, and I think part of the reason why Memphis can feel a little bit better going into these games is that Minnesota's three-point defense hasn't been awesome this year. I mean, there are lot, other teams are shooting, what, like 35% right in that range? Like Memphis that, yeah. is Memphis shot it the worst against any team, uh, you know, in those four games against Minnesota. That they shot at 30%. They're probably not going to do that for a seven-game series. Um, but, again, some of it is to credit for the Timberwolves' defense. And also, you didn't have Dylan Brooks in all four of those games. And Dylan, it, it will be interesting to see how they choose to use Dylan because he's by far and away their very best perimeter defender. And probably, the, I mean, outside of Jaron, who blocks a lot of shots at the rim, the best defender on the team. And so uh, he can't guard both. Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell, but he can guard one of the two. And that's definitely going to help them, especially because we saw D'Angelo pick apart the Grizzlies in the fourth quarter of two of the games. So I think that they, they feel good about that. They can feel good that Ja will play a bit, a little bit better, that they'll probably shoot it a little bit better. Um, but the Timberwolves are just tough. They're a tough young team. They've got talent all over the, the court. Uh, they're going to be tough to defend. And they, it, when they get it going, they can get it going. We saw them lose. I was in Minneapolis for the 43-point uh, loss earlier this season. And that loss, actually, for the Grizzlies, they credit that loss for what turned around the season. The next game, they went to Utah, and they won a tough game. And they, they started 9-10. and 10. It's amazing that they started 9-10 and 10 and finished where they did. And that that Minnesota loss was a huge wake up call for them early in the season about, you know, figuring out how to play defense. And so the Timberwolves have their <laughs> fingerprints all over a lot of Grizzlies struggling uh, points this season. But at the same time, I think Memphis feels pretty confident that the team that Minnesota has seen this year is, is not the team that they're going to be facing in the playoffs. Good, uh, good points on that. An interesting subplot with Patrick Beverly and John Moran. I hadn't really considered that last matchup. But now that I think about it, you're right. And there's, you know, there's a weird kind of, you know, Patrick Beverly doesn't need a whole lot of motivation to get excited for a game, a series for life uh, in general. But, you know, for, for those who might've forgotten, he was briefly with Memphis this offseason. They were the team that kind of was his, his holdover spot after the trade from the Clippers wolves end up getting him in a deal for Jarrett Culver and Juancho Ernan Gomez. And, you know, and I don't think either one of those guys factored prominently in the Memphis plans this year. So interesting to think about how that might have turned out differently if he was still in Memphis. But now, you know, that that subplot coming into the game with him against John Morant does make for uh, an interesting, was, uh, an interesting thing to think about. It was a money saving thing for the Grizzlies. Yes. It's funny how this has worked out because now the Grizzlies are going to have to face a guy that they sent off to save a million dollars. I mean, they don't they don't. Like I saw somebody say that it was a steal for the Timberwolves. I mean, the Grizzlies never had any interest in, in having Pat Beverly. They don't, they, they knew Desmond Bain was going to be their starting shooting guard going into the season. You have Tyus Jones as your backup point guard. There was not really space for Patrick Beverly to play. So, and, and of course, Patrick ends up coming over in the deal for Eric Bledsoe. They, they got Eric Bledsoe from the, uh, the Pelicans in order to get Zaire Williams in the draft. Then they ship him out. They take back Pat. 
They're trying to save money and they give them to the Timberwolves. And here he is. You're going to have to face him in the first round of the playoffs. It's just fun how that has worked out. It is. And then there's the Tyus Jones subplot as well. I mean, that was a player that the Wolves, you know, arguably could have, should have kept a few years ago, ends up signing the offer sheet in Memphis to, to go there and, you know, has, has done a good job. He's, he's always been a good basketball player. And, you know, I don't think that's a, I don't think we're talking about like a revenge game for Tyus Jones, but just another interesting subplot with the Minnesota connection there, uh, there as well. Well, um, you know, Drew, just kind of thinking about this, this series, you know, big picture in this season, big picture. I mean, you know, Memphis does feel like just kind of one of those teams that did kind of come out of nowhere. Neither one of these teams has a huge amount of you know, necessarily like playoff. You know, you don't talk about these teams that have been there a whole bunch of times that have these kind of you know pedigrees where they've, you know, where a lot of the players on the team have, have done it over and over again, or, you know, this is their fourth, fifth, sixth crack at it. How do you think that factors into a series with, with two, you know, relatively surprising teams that have, you know, that are led by young guys who haven't done it on this stage a whole lot. I, I suppose it's neutral. Um, I guess it's, a, they, it sort of cancels itself out. I mean, we've seen the, the Grizzlies played in the play in two years in a row and, um, Jaw's been amazing in all those play-in games. He was awesome in the series against Utah. He had 47 points in game two at Utah. Um, so we've seen we, – we know he can deliver on a big stage. Yes. Dylan Brooks was great in the Utah series. But, I mean, outside of that, I mean, Desmond Bain last year, he was just a bench player, a, a pretty insignificant role player for the Grizzlies. D'Anthony Melton didn't play very well in the playoffs for the Grizzlies. Jaron hasn't been able to stay healthy, so you haven't really seen him uh, be available. It, he, he missed the first play-in, and then last year he just wasn't really himself coming off of the meniscus surgery. So uh, outside of Ja and maybe a little bit of Dylan, this is pretty much dead even. The, these two teams, we don't really know what we're going to get from them in these moments. Um, I'm curious to see – how Minnesota will respond to the emotional high of winning that game. Cause it, I mean, we all saw the celebration. It looked yes. like it really, really mattered to them as it should. Um, and so I, I'm just curious to see, you know, how hungry everybody is on, on both sides. So if you're Memphis, you, you've been a team that all year long has been trying to pound your chest and say, Hey, look at me. We're really good. I know we're a small market, but put us on TV, pay attention to us. And if you're Minnesota, you're kind of in the same position that Memphis was in. And so maybe not quite the, the small market, but, but the team that's up and coming that you want, uh, you, you want the attention. So it's really, it's a battle between two teams that have a lot of similarities. I think that makes it pretty fun. I do too. It should be a fascinating and fun series. Can't wait for it to get underway on Saturday. Uh, read all of Drew's coverage in the uh, Daily Memphian. And uh, Drew, appreciate it. Appreciate you joining Daily Delivery today. Yeah, of course. I'm looking forward to coming back uh, to to Minnesota. I had so much fun the first time that I came up there, so I'm excited for it. Maybe it'll actually be spring by the time you get here, man. It's been uh, it's been kind of brutal the last uh, last week or so weather wise here. Well, I'm just expecting the worst, you know, it's all right. Expect the worst uh, be pleasantly surprised by the best. That's how we do it here in Minnesota. Thanks, Drew. Thanks. See ya. Great perspectives from Drew Hill. Had not talked to him before that, uh, that, that chat I had with him the other day, but really enjoyed that. He definitely has a finger on the pulse of the Memphis Grizzlies. Thought it was interesting, the, uh, 
the stuff about John ja Morant and Patrick Beverly in particular, and that's going to be a matchup to watch in this series, no doubt. Patrick Beverly did a very good job covering John ja Morant during the season. wasn't just him; it was you know by committee, but he he had a lot of those responsibilities and you know relishes those roles. And so, you know, that matchup is going to be one to watch, you know, whether Patrick Beverly has a little chip on his shoulder from Memphis trading for him in the offseason and then dispatching him to Minnesota, you know, basically a week later, we'll see. Um, Patrick Beverly doesn't need a whole lot of motivation to get up for a game, but maybe he'll use that as extra fuel against John Morant. Um, But John Morant was asked even more about that on Thursday in a session with Memphis reporters and basically indicated that they are not going to back down. Let's play a little clip of that right now. You remember that quote I said? Which about? Ain't ducking, no smoke. We run up the chimney. Simple as that. We ain't no conversations about not letting nobody get under your skin. If somebody, you know, comes towards you, ain't no, can't back down. It's a soft person tendency. We don't got no soft guys over here. So this could turn into a physical... Um, emotional series, and I think that's an, an extra layer to this. You know, Patrick Beverly is you know one of those you know emotional players the Wolves had. He has he he tends to channel it in a good way. I think they take some of their cues from him. But sometimes the Wolves this year have had a tendency to let their emotions get the best of them. Like I mentioned at the jump, Carl Anthony Towns has been guilty of that, and I think that was part of what was troubling him against the Clippers. So how how that battle plays out, not just that individual matchup between Patrick Beverly and John Morant, but how the emotions play out in this series I think will be interesting to watch. Patrick Beverly, by the way, fined $30,000 by the NBA for egregious language after the celebration and beating the Clippers on Tuesday. Come on. What is this, what is going on with this league? That's ridiculous. Um, it, it just seems like a, I don't know, it, it why? What are we doing here? Egregious language? Like, are we twelve? Are we six? What's What's the point? Just let him have his moment. Let him play basketball. And I see Patrick Beverly is um, soliciting donations for the fine on uh, Venmo. He's using this uh, Bud Light has offered to create a a a, a Bev Light uh, version of their beer because he had the beer on uh, on the podium the other night. And he's got that uh, that can they created as his logo on Venmo. So I'm imagining some of this is all a little bit of a tie-in. But for whatever it is, uh, Patrick Beverly is becoming a folk hero here and in the NBA. I've got people I know who don't care at all about the NBA saying Patrick Beverly is their favorite player. All of a sudden, just the emotion he brings, the swagger he brings. You know, bringing that into this series, which is going to be a, you know, a hard-contested series, that adds another element to all this and I just imagine that you know all of these things all of this kind of building with Patrick Beverly beating the Clippers having this attention playing now another team that traded him having this fine going against John Moran all of this is just going to make him stronger in a certain way and it's going to be a very fun series to watch especially that matchup between him and John Moran speaking of fines 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 everywhere fines Ryan Hartman Got fined a little over four grand for an obscene gesture, obscene hand gesture towards Evander Kane the other day. Those two got into a scrap. That is nothing new to Evander Kane, and not really to Ryan Hartman either. He does get to get in there and mix it up. 
You know, he got fined of $4,250 while Wild fans stepped in to pay it. They paid him via Venmo. Ryan Hartman saying all of the money they've given him will go to charity, go to Children's Minnesota. So that's a cool end to that story. My favorite part about the whole thing was um, I think Yahoo reported that Evander Kane's ex-wife chipped in $200 to uh, to the Ryan Hartman paying his uh, suspension and uh, paying his fine funds. So that was an interesting little subplot in all of that as well. I don't know about this whole thing about fans paying the fines for million-dollar athletes, for millionaire players, but as long as the money ends up in worthy hands in the end, I think it's a good end to that story. And so a cool a cool thing Ryan Hartman is doing. And, you know, Wild fans stepping up. It's it's kind of one another, one another layer of what makes this team special and what makes this year fun for the Wild and, and for the Timberwolves. These, are, these two teams are about as fun as I can remember them being, especially at the same time. And that is going to make the months of April and May very interesting. And speaking of the Wild, beat Dallas 3-2 in overtime. Probably not the Wild's best game, but they got to the finish line thanks in large part to Marc-Andre Fleury. Had a lot of big saves in that game and then had the assist in overtime. Called it, what was the what was the word he used? He called it his uh, his French sense. Came out and played a loose puck in uh, right right out right outside his goal in overtime, three on three. Played it off the boards. Uh, got it to Freddie Goudreau, who uh, who put one past uh, Dallas's goalie and got that one in the overtime winner. So Wild wins that game, gets another two points, getting close to clinching a playoff berth here pretty soon. Not really worried about that becoming a reality. That's just more of a formality at some point than anything, but. Nice to get a win when you don't play your best. I think that's something the Wild hasn't necessarily done a whole lot of in recent years because they've they've tended to need to be at or near the top of their game to get wins with the with the way they've been constructed. This year's team a little bit different. They can they can win a lot of different ways, and Mark Andre Fleury kind of stole that one to a certain degree for them, and then gets the assist on the uh, the winning goal. Kevin Fiala, by the way, magnificent in this game. Had the two regulation goals. I think he got an assist on that overtime win or two because he deflected that puck to Flurry. So Kevin Fiala showing his worth on this year's team as well. Let's finish with the cooler. Minnesota connections in the NCAA women's gymnastics meet fared quite well on Thursday. Suni Lee, of course, the Olympic gold medalist from St. Paul, won the NCAA title on the balance beam competing for Auburn and finished second in the all-around and got Auburn to Saturday's team finals. Lexi Ramler, fifth-year senior for the Gophers, had an absolutely fantastic meet, tied for second on the uneven bars, tied for fourth on the balance beam, sixth in the all-around. Gophers placed sixth as a team in this meet, their best finish as a program. So that is very cool. Great stuff from all of those uh, competitors, and congrats to everybody involved in that. That will do it for today. Thinking we're going to have a bonus episode this weekend off of game one of the playoffs. Don't think I'll do that every time the Wolves play in the playoffs, but feels like that Saturday afternoon start kind of begs for one extra episode in there. I think I'll have Chris Hine on. He'll be from, he'll be out there in Memphis covering game one between the Wolves and the Grizzlies. So listen for that over the weekend. And I'll be back at it Monday as well with Patrick Royce when we will have no shortage of stuff to talk about. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll see you again in a couple of days. 